This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so glad that you're with us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be uh, a very interactive and educational edition of Equip. Today, my guest in just a few moments will be Dr. Tim Keller. He's been writing a lot on a subject that has really fallen out of favor in our culture. The subject that I'm referring to is forgiveness. You know, I want to talk about that today. We're going to talk about why is it so hard to forgive? As a matter of fact, you can go to our social media platforms and chime in to that question right now. You know, I've been looking at articles and research on this, and it is becoming harder and harder to forgive. As a matter of fact, most recent studies show that forgiveness is no longer seen by the majority of Americans as a redeeming virtue. That's right. You know, growing up, I I grew up in a culture in which forgiveness, reconciliation, in particular among Christians, was seen as a redeeming virtue. But now most people have a disdain for forgiveness. They feel in some ways that it is allowing perpetrators and abusers to get off the hook. Others see reconciliation as some weak form of compromise. But what about you? When it comes to forgiveness, how do you view it? Well, I think like all things, we need to view forgiveness through the lens of Scripture. We need to see it through the eyes of Jesus. All of us are wounded. All of us will, as long as we are human beings interacting with other human beings, experience some pain and hurt. As a matter of fact, as you listen to me right now, no doubt you can make a list of people who have mistreated or mishandled you. It was about uh, 2019 when I went through the deepest uh, experience of church hurt that I've ever experienced. It was a betrayal coupled together with a deep, deep delusion, uh, uh, misunderstanding, I'd say, uh, around my motives, my intentions, misrepresentation, all of these things uh, were, were happening. And for the first time, I experienced what it was like to be on the other side of deep betrayal from the local church and leaders. And the last thing I think I wanted in that moment, naturally, was for forgiveness to happen. But yet what the scriptures teach us is to the extent that we're willing to forgive others, we ourselves will be forgiven. Now, just stop there for just a moment, because that's a sobering concept, isn't it? That to the measure in which I'm willing to forgive others, I will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. Well, if that's the case, man, we got a long way to go. It is a challenge to think about my forgiveness being connected to my willingness to forgive. But I would argue that um, a generation that is committed 
to uh, justice also has to be equally committed to forgiveness. And so I really want to encourage you today because what we're going to do is walk through a theology of forgiveness. And if you don't want to listen, odds are that's an indication that you need to hear it. If you're ready to run from this conversation, odds are that means you need to stick and stay because this is for you. If for some reason you find yourself resistant to it, those are things that God is typically telling us that we need to challenge ourselves in. Now, I want to connect this for just a moment, if I could, to a resource we've been featuring this entire month. Before I bring Dr. Keller on, I want to just connect this to uh, this book by Dr. Gary Chapman entitled Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away. You know, we all, as married couples, know what it's like to have moments where you're asking yourself, now, why did I get married again? Or moments where you, in your more honest moments, say, Lord, this doesn't feel fun. Maybe when you were in your 20s or 30s or newlyweds, you felt like, man, this is just going to be fun all the time. But marriage doesn't operate like that. And there are some that are in difficult marriages for very extreme and intense reasons. Maybe you married someone who was irresponsible. Maybe you married someone who deals with depression and you didn't know it, someone who had been sexually abused, and now that's affecting your marriage right now, or somebody who has been unfaithful to you and you just are ready to pack your bags and walk away. Well, what if Jesus wanted you in the midst of all of this processing to also consider what it would be like to see redemption, reconciliation, restoration in your marriage? All month long, we've been trying to rescue marriages. And today, I would ask for you to partner with us in that endeavor. Maybe you need this resource by Dr. Gary Chapman for yourself, this resource for desperate hearts and difficult marriages. And if that's true, we're going to send it to you for a gift of any amount. But I do need you to dial this number, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. But odds are there's a lot of you that are listening to me that maybe God wants to use to bring about the restoration and reconciliation of someone else's marriage. You know, recently I watched two couples that went through the devastation of seeing their marriages dissolved, and I saw firsthand the impact that it had on the children, on the grandparents, on those that were um, associated or or tied into those relationships. You know, when a marriage dissolves, it doesn't just affect the couple, but it affects everyone connected to that couple. And so if you know of a couple that God is calling you to encourage or advocate for, I'm going to challenge and encourage you to, uh, man, reach out now for a copy of this book, Loving Your Spouse, when you feel like walking away, we'll send it right over to you, and you can put it into their hands. The phone number is 888-644-4144. So again, uh, this whole um, issue of forgiveness, it is not easy. but There's a reason why Jesus has called us to do it. And seeing our marriages as the first place, our families, our homes as the first place where all virtues should be lived out and applied, I think is right, and it's aligned with the Word of God. Before we try to reconcile the world, 
transform our communities or cities for Jesus. Before we do any of those things, we need to start with this quiet revolution in our own living rooms. And so I want to pray today for you who have been hurt, who have been wounded, but I also want to challenge you to, uh, man, reach out today at 888-644-4144. Again, if you want to be a blessing, maybe you just say, Chris, my marriage is fine, but I want to bless many, many marriages, and I just want to give a gift that will be an investment into that. Maybe you can give us a call as well, 888-644-4144. What I do know is that the church won't see the type of uh, cultural, societal impact that we hope if we don't see it first in our homes. Father, I pray right now that you would move on hearts, that you, Lord, by your grace and goodness, will begin to restore what is broken, bring hope where there's hopelessness, Father, bring repentance where needed, and yes, Lord, we do pray for forgiveness. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we get back from this break, Dr. Tim Keller is going to be joining us to talk about his newest book. It's simply entitled Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Maybe you've been on that side of the question or the equation. You don't want to miss this rigorous and important conversation about the scriptures, about real life, and how we apply God's Word to our experience. 888-644-4144 is the number. Or if it's easier, go to our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Don't forget also social media is available to you. That's Equip Radio at Facebook and Twitter. We're available to you there. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Hey there, friends, Chris Brooks here. You know, it's no secret that good marriages take work, and sometimes we need help to resolve our differences. Dr. Gary Chapman is highly respected for his godly wisdom on overcoming relational conflict and finding joy together. I want to share his important book with you called Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away. It's written for any couple eager to create a marriage that lasts. Get your copy with a gift of any amount. Call 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today we're talking about forgiveness. How could you forgive someone who's hurt you? Why should you forgive someone who has wounded you? Why do we need a forgiveness movement in our church and in our culture Well, Dr. Tim Keller writes about all of this in his most recent project workbook. It's called Forgive. Why should I and how can I? You know, uh, Dr. Tim Keller has been a gift to the body of Christ in so many ways as an author, as a pastor, as a leader of leaders. And uh, he gives us this most recent book, I think, to provoke our um, Christian imagination on what could be and also to remind us of what made the early church so unique, one of the great virtues that caused Christianity to be so revolutionary. Dr. Keller, how are you today? I'm good today, and I'm glad to be with you. Well, I'm glad you're here too. Why forgive and why right now? What what provoked you to say this book needs to be written for the church in this moment? Well, any pastor 
any preacher, but any pastor especially, uh, uh, is constantly talking to people about forgiveness. You can't do marriage counseling without teaching people how to for- repent and forgive. You can't do uh, you can't reconcile people in your church that have fallen out with each other and speaking to each other unless you talk about forgiveness, repentance. And you can't talk to people about shame and guilt and uh, their conscience without talking about it. So you're talking about it constantly. But what struck me about two years ago, I guess, was I suddenly realized that forgiveness was less popular and more uh, there was more negative talk about forgiveness in our culture than in my entire life I'd ever heard before, that there was just a lot more pushback. Um, that every time you heard some kind of high profile example of someone forgiving, uh, say somebody did a shooting mm-hmm. and uh, the what, one of the uh, people whose uh, children or, or relatives or friends was shot said, I forgive the, the shooter. And that gets news, uh, of course. But then people write and say, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I began to realize that in light of a lot of the uh, concerns for pursuing justice, which is very good, uh, there's a lot of people who feel like forgiveness actually is at variance with pursuing justice. And that's one of the reasons why now it's kind of a it's kind of at a crisis point in our culture. A lot more and more people are not forgiving, don't want to forgive, don't think we should forgive. You know, it's interesting you bring it up. I first took notice Actually, it was 2019. You may remember when both and John, uh, Dallas, African-American young man, uh, was shot and killed in his apartment as Amber Geiger went into his apartment, a police officer. And what was uh, most historic about that moment was her, uh, his, his brother, rather, on the stand, testifying to the fact that he forgave her and then walking over and giving her a hug. And you're right. It was one of those moments that was a lightning rod moment because many saw it with disdain. And you write in your book about the fading of forgiveness. Give us a little bit of what you mean by that and uh, how we got here. Well, um, I'm actually a bit sympathetic, though, of course, obviously I come down and say, no, we must forgive, of course. But I'm a little bit I'm. I'm I'm sympathetic for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is in that situation, what the 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 pushback came like this and said, well, African Americans are always expected to forgive, right? And of course, because there's such a strong, so many African Americans are Christians, they do that, and then some people are saying, well, you know what, you're just letting yourselves get walked on. Yes. Uh, so I I yeah I get that. The other the other thing is the Me Too movement. That's another been another part of this is that there have been women who have been um, uh, harmed. And then what will happen? And unfortunately, sometimes the church itself does this. People come around and say, uh, well, you have to forgive the man repented. So you just have to forgive. And it kind of silences her. Uh, they, the implication is you forgive and that means you don't pursue anything else. Uh, very often the perpetrator is put right back where they were before. Now, there's a couple of extreme cases of that. In the book, I even talk about a, a North American nun who was working in Central America. The, uh, the, the local military people who ordinarily just would plunder and rape. These were military people. These were the army. Mm. Um, 
raped her and then discovered to their horror that she was a North American. And she said, ah, but they said, ah, but you're a nun. You got to forgive us. I mean, that's in the book. It's in the book. And so when you read that, you begin to see why some younger people who may not be as aware of all that the Bible teaches about forgiveness, they might start to say, wait a minute. And I think that a lot of the fading of forgiveness has come because as people become less churched, they aren't taught very well what the Bible says about forgiveness. Then they see forgiveness being abused like that. And then they start to move away from it. And that's the fading of forgiveness. Yeah, and, and in many ways, it is, to, it is the protection of perpetrators, or at least viewed that way. Yeah, that somehow yeah, yeah. this this uh, this type of cheap forgiveness is unsympathetic to mm-hmm. the 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 hurt and the heavinesses of those who have been hurt, uh, victimized, and and also protective of uh, the perpetrator. How has the church contributed to this, and how can we change the narrative? Well, in some cases, uh, the, the, the church has made some major uh, mistakes on this when it comes to sexual misconduct, sexual molesting of uh, uh, women or children. Uh, I, I noticed it happening because I'm old, by the way, Chris, just to let you know. I'm old. <laughs> uh, I noticed it beginning to happen actually in the 80s when a lot of churches said, when this happens, we don't go to. Um, I'm not sure where this idea came from. We don't go to the police or to civil authorities. We, we can handle it ourselves. Yeah. I, and sometimes they pointed to 1 Corinthians 6, where it talked about Christians not suing one sure. another in court. But that's not the same thing. So a civil suit is one thing. Uh, a dispute is one thing. It's another thing when someone's broken the law. And to molest a child, or this, my, this, is, this is breaking the law. Yeah. You know, would you, would you, if, I mean, I, I don't want to get extreme here, but if somebody robs someone in your church or, or kills somebody in your church, yes. you don't say, well, we can handle it in here. No, you don't do that. Uh, that's mistaking what the Bible says about the spheres of, of, you know, church and state and so on. And the second thing was they did tend to rush the perpetrator right back into power. And I think it, it largely was it, what it did was it helped the church's reputation. Yeah. What they basically, by, by silencing the victims, uh, they didn't have to kind of go public and and say what had happened. And I think that that I saw a lot of that happen in the eighties and nineties, which really only more recently has been coming out. And that, that yeah yeah it's been exposed. And of course, it really that that misuse of forgiveness has really harmed the credibility of the church and our culture. I want to get to the relationship between forgiveness and justice in a moment, but yep. before we do that. I do want to talk about what made the early church unique, because I think part of the brilliance of your book is you aren't really talking about this forgiveness issue uh, solely in a contemporary sense. You're looking back at Mm -hmm. our roots and saying there's something radically different here. What was it about forgiveness that was powerful for the early church? Well, the uh, all the histories, if you and I did read some of the histories of, of forgiveness uh, getting ready for this book is you go back to the Greeks and the Romans or even to Chinese Confucianism and so on. And those were shame and honor cultures. And forgiveness was not in any way seen as a virtue. Uh, you just do not have forgiveness being uh, lifted up as one of the things that a virtuous person does. Uh, there were a couple of reasons why, if you ask them, if you ask the, the philosophers, they would say, well, first of all, virtuous people don't do bad things. 
So mm -hmm. we don't need forgiveness. And therefore, if someone wrongs you, you either show that you are bigger than these people and you just say, forget it. You just excuse it. You say, you haven't hurt me. So it's a way of sort of looking down at them and not letting it get to you. Or you take vengeance. But the idea of forgiving, no. And the difference came when Christianity, Judaism and Christianity came uh, and began to, the, when the Bible became the book for Western culture. What's so different is the Bible says that you, every human being needs forgiveness first. You live only by forgiveness. That the only reason you're alive is because God is a forgiving God. And that's that vertical dimension that the Greeks and the Romans and, and the Chinese just didn't have, the ancients. The, the vertical dimension was that I know, uh, you know, what the Bible says, I know that I am a sinner and I only live by the forgiveness of God. That radically changes your attitude toward people who sin against you. Um, and every indication in the Bible always is, uh, you know, at the end of Roman, uh, end of Ephesians 4 or the parable of the, of the merciful, unmerciful servant, uh, or even in the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus, everybody is always saying, as God forgave you, now you must forgive others. And that dimension is just not there. So the early church was radical because um, if you went and burned down their houses, the Christians' houses, or you you persecuted them, they didn't get a posse up and then go burn down your house. Right. Means that's how everybody else operated. They forgave. And of course, on the one hand, a lot of the, in that shame and honor culture, that made, a lot of people thought that Christians were just wimps. But there were a lot of other people that saw an incredible attractiveness there and, um, and were very, very taken by it. So Christianity was one of the most radical things about it was it was a, culture of forgiveness, a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. You track forgiveness in this book from the writings of Moses all the way through the Gospels, the early church. What do we see in the life of Jesus with forgiveness that allows him to not be compromised in strength, but yet be uh, ultimately forgiven? There's not a moment where I look at Jesus's forgiveness and I misunderstand that somehow for weakness he seems no. to remain strong but yet forgiving right. well first of all he you know he actually says at one point remember uh when he's being captured he says i could i could call god and he could send ten thousand angels and we could you know i could be yeah. out of here yeah I mean, he actually says he says this is a voluntary thing and when you see that you realize that this is an act of strength this is not an act of weakness this is and, and and Philippians two, which explains that though he was equal with God, he didn't hold on to his power, didn't hold on to his equality, but he emptied himself in order to save us. So you're absolutely right that the first thing is forgiveness is a kind of voluntary. Um, uh, it's a voluntary rejection of vengeance, and it's not an act of weakness. It's an act of strength. Yeah, that's the first thing to say. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you think about a contemporary example of that, you know, I uh, am a graduate of Michigan State University, and another alumnus there was uh, Rachel Dilton Hallander, who um, was one of the first abuse victims of Larry Nasser. And to hear her victim testimony as she stood there in front of him, so bold, so firmly planted in the gospel. There was not an ounce of weakness in that, but yet there was a strong gospel communication 
of, uh, of the power really by this the spirit to forgive. Yeah, and she also actually does forgive. Remember, in, in that speech to him, she says he, yeah. she forgave him. And she also was hoping that someday he would know the, um, the, yes. the you know, God's forgiveness. And yet, uh, and maybe this is what we ought to explore a little bit. In Rachel, and which I, as you know, in the book, I quote her and, and yes. uh, use her as an example. She saw no, no um, uh, contradiction between pursuing justice and offering forgiveness. None at so, all. So that's what we're going to explore. Let's do this. We're up against a break. Let's take a break. But when we come back, I'm, I'm just going to just uh, tease out this thought for just a moment. Can justice and forgiveness coexist? Because I think there's a lot of folks who will argue that if justice is defined, as it is by culture, as simply the act of calling out bad actors, then the answer is no. But if there's another definition of justice uh, that is more in line with the Word of God, then I think we come to a different conclusion. My guest is Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller. The book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? I want to encourage you right now during this break to order your copy. Go to our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. You can find out ordering information there. All you have to do is click on today's program details, and uh, there you can find ordering information. If it's easier for you, go to our social media platforms. There's uh, full content there about Dr. Keller and his newest book, Forgive, at Equip Radio on Facebook or Twitter. Can justice and forgiveness coexist side by side with one another? We'll talk about that and so much more when we come back next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Tim Keller on forgiveness. Dr. Keller, um, you spend a lot of time in your book uh, helping us to understand the full character of God, both his love and his fury, helping us to understand the relationship, if you will, between forgiveness and justice. So, so connect some dots for us, because I do believe that we live in a culture that questions or holds in contempt whether or not forgiveness is a virtue that can coexist with justice. Well, first of all, you do have to look at the cross. Now, this doesn't immediately, uh, unless we spend a little time talking about how this translates into the way in which we operate, uh, it may not be immediately clear how what the connection is. But on the cross, when Jesus Christ died, he was both securing our forgiveness and fulfilling justice at the same time. And this in a single stroke, uh, it, you know, all, our transgressions were put on him. Uh, you know, if I, uh, every, every indication is that when he was on the cross, he was fulfilling justice because the wages of sin is death and he took the wages and, uh, our, you know, our curse was put on him and he got it. And that means that the justice was satisfied, but at the very same time he was making it possible for us to be forgiven. And so there you have no, uh, one is just as important as the other. Now, how does that actually (laughs) play out in us? And I'll just say this real quick, and then we can explore it. If you 
don't forgive in your heart before you pursue justice, going to the perpetrator, trying to make things right. If you don't forgive the perpetrator in your heart before you pursue justice, you won't actually be pursuing justice. You'll be pursuing vengeance. Wow. And vengeance is almost always excessive. Vengeance is motivated selfishly, like I just want to get the satisfaction of seeing this person suffer like I was suffering, as opposed to being motivated, I want justice for society's sake, for future victims' sake, for God's sake, and even for the perpetrator's sake. So what happens is when you are doing vengeance, it's all for your sake, and it's almost always uh, excessive, and almost always the perpetrator when they see you coming after them with your fangs bared, they just don't, uh, they don't perceive it as being a pursuit of justice. They, they, they just start to fight back. Um, on the other hand, if there's any chance of you getting justice, you have to forgive first. And so for, you might say forgiveness is a precondition of, of doing justice. Otherwise you'll just go after vengeance. Now, now how does that relate to biblical commands? How, how do you see this uh, risk, if you will, uh, of mistaking uh, justice for really what's vengeance? Well, a lot of people point to Luke 17, Mm -hmm. where it says if someone repents, uh, forgive them. If they repent 70 times, you have to forgive them 70 times. And a lot of people say, aha, see, I don't actually have to forgive them. I can stay furious and angry at them until they (laughs) grovel, (laughs) until they grovel at my feet. And And then only then do I have to forgive. The problem with that is it it uh, doesn't seem to know what to do with Mark chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus says, if you're standing and praying and you have anything against anyone, forgive them, mm. period, full stop. Mm. And so a, a friend of mine who unfortunately died of cancer a couple of years ago, a wonderful counselor guy, David Pallison, um, wrote a book called Good and Angry which is a great little book. And in it, he says, well, how do, they, how do you, con- you know, how do you relate these two passages? It almost look like a contradiction. But he says, not really. He says, he says, there's an internal forgiveness, which we have to do, where we say, I'm not going to pursue vengeance. I'm not going to go after this person just to make them suffer. Uh, just as God did not give me my full deserts, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also not going to try to uh, you know, uh, uh, take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. I'm not going to do that. But then Luke 6, 17 is talking about the fact that you're trying to get the other person to repent. You want the other person to repent. In that sense, forgiveness is more like a restored relationship. So he would say, he'd say, Luke 17 is talking about your ultimate goal is to get the perpetrator to see I've done wrong and to make a full admission and to put everything right. And, and at that point, you've actually got a restored society. You've got a restored human community. Uh, so he says that you need to do the internal forgiveness in order to pursue external justice and reconciliation. And that's how you put those two, two uh, together. You know, this whole thought of an eye for an eye, a two for a two, seems to put some context and limitations on this as well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly right. Because um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is actually saying pursue justice, not be- vengeance. It sounds terrible. It's called the lex talionis. At first, it's like, oh, that's awful. But the reality is that if somebody knocked your tooth out, 
and you're and you're in a vengeance mode, you're not going to just knock one tooth out. <laughs> no, not at you're, all. No, you're going to you're going to try to knock all the teeth out because you say you started it. You see, and that's vengeance, and that's the whole idea behind the lex talionis, which on the surface looks kind of bloodthirsty, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but it was really a way of saying, no, pursue justice, not vengeance. Dr. Keller, what, what is your greatest concern if we don't get this? If the church doesn't get what you're after in this book, what God is after uh, in the scriptures concerning forgiveness, what are you uh, most concerned will happen? Well, it, Chris, I'm afraid it's already happening. Um, uh, you can just take a look at the nature of our public discourse, how venomous, how cruel it is. Um, some of you may know, some listeners may know that even though I now use the word, mm-hmm. um, a couple of, a year ago or so, somebody said, you know, the Tim Keller winsome approach doesn't work. <laughs> We've got to go, you know, being yeah. kind and nice to yes. our opponents. No, no, no. And so that's, he was a nice guy, Tim. I still like Tim. He's a great guy, but you know, he's old and that might've worked 10, 15 years, 20 years ago. But today, the enemy is we just it's just we got to draw and quarter them. We've got to marginalize them. We've got to knock them out. And uh, I mean, I don't know about um, winsomeness, frankly. It's not a biblical word. But there's an awful lot in the Bible about forgiveness and compassion and sure and kindness. And I don't think it's we are in any way winning over the uh, you might say the the undecided people who are with thinking about Christianity when they see Christian voices being just so filled with anger and harshness. And, and d- we're not known for our forgiveness anymore, are we? I mean, the early Christians were, and maybe the Amish are, but by and large, you know, American evangelicals are not known for their forgiveness. And yet we, that, that's a huge problem. You know, there's so much of the book that we're not going to be able to get to, but I cannot let you go without talking about repentance. Because that's a significant part of the book. You know, I have to deal at some point with my own yep. guilt and shame. So can you help us understand, at least in brief, what you uh, are getting at in your book around my own dealing with guilt and repentance? Yeah, well, I, I would say the three things you got to do if you're repenting. I remember in the early days of my marriage, Kathy would say, uh, I don't like that habit, you know, where you just throw your shoes in the closet or this or that, uh, and you make you make such a mess of things. And I go, well, yeah, yeah. And every time I say, yeah, I'll change, I'll change, and then I didn't. Now I know I'm I know I'm operating at a very low level here, but I do still think that the, the principle works. I came to realize that one problem is uh, there's a kind of repentance that's just self pity. Mm. In other words somebody's getting on me and it's creating a bit of problem for me. So I say, yeah, I need to change that. But it's really just a, it's really, you're, you're not really sorry for the sin. You're sorry for the consequences of the sin. And you, you don't like the fact that it's created some problems for you, maybe in your marriage. So you say, yes, I repent, but you're not going to change as long as you are that self-centered, because as soon as your wife stops complaining, you'll go right back to it. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to make it a God thing. And you have to say, uh, I'm displeasing my wife. I'm doing something that really upsets her. It's very minor. So I keep thinking, ah, you know, she'll get over it. But, but no, it's, I'm just failing to love her. And, and God 
you, uh, I'm therefore displeasing you because, you know, I took vows and, and, and I called you to account. I mean, and I, you know, I, as my witness. And, and so I make it a God thing to say, I'm actually sitting against you, just like David did with uh, when Bathsheba, you know, uh, taking Uriah, uh, uh, having him killed and, yes. and doing Bathsheba. He actually said against thee, the only have I sinned. And he wasn't really exaggerating. You might say, well, wait a minute, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Yeah, but he's trying to say, first of all, you're sinning against God. And that gets it out of the self-pity. We say, I'm really displeasing God. Then secondly, I'm really displeasing my wife. So thirdly, what I do is I make a change. I don't just say, I'm sorry. I do, I bear fruits of repentance, Luke chapter three, where I do something very specific that makes it harder for me to do it again. So I, I try to get out of the self-pity. I try to make it about God. And then I, I don't just say, I'm sorry, but I make a bare fruit of repentance. I do something that makes it harder for me to do it again. And I think that's what I counsel people to do and what I've been trying to do as a repenter myself. So good. I, I cannot express to you how much I appreciate that you've written this book. And in spite of what some critics and pundits may say, I think, Dr. Keller, this is exactly what the church and our broader culture needs right now is a forgiveness movement right alongside uh, the uh, virtues of justice and yep. dealing with hidden sin is yep. uh, a need for forgiveness and the renouncing of vengeance. Friends, I want to encourage you to get a copy of Dr. Keller's book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Dr. Keller, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Chris. You're just a great, uh, great conversation partner. Well, friends, I want to encourage you. You can find out more about Dr. Keller's book at our website. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to land this plane in the heart of the gospel. And hopefully, prayerfully, some of you today might know the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us uh, today as well. So, why don't you do me a favor? Go to our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. O-R-G. Also, uh, social media is available to you. I'd love for you to chime in to our question of the day. Why is forgiveness so hard? Uh, maybe you have thoughts on that in light of this conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's keep the conversation going on Facebook and Twitter as well. Let's use social media for the good. Whatever you do, stick and stay. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful that Dr. Keller stopped by to have a conversation about his newest book on forgiveness. And man, if there is ever a movement that I think we need, it is a mercy and forgiveness movement that sees both justice as a virtue as well as forgiveness. And I want to just walk through, if I could, for just a moment, these last moments together, 
what is labeled as Appendix A in Dr. Keller's book on forgiveness. And these are forgiveness principles as he defines them. The first thing is the difficulty of forgiveness. And it lies in the fact that forgiveness is unnatural to us. Our basic human instinct is to retaliate. It is for vengeance. When I have been hurt, when someone I love has been hurt, don't consider yourself to be abnormal or even in sin when the desire rises up in you to bring about vengeance. But the Bible is clear that we are to be angry and sin not. The prohibition is not against acknowledging our anger. And you know, this is really an important point because as a Christian, I grew up being taught that anger, any sense of anger was sinful on my part. And I should quickly denounce it and not even acknowledge it. But the Bible seems to give me a different picture that God has anger. And if I'm gonna be aligned with God emotionally, There will be times when I have anger, righteous indignation, if you will, over the brokenness of this world, and I do God and myself a disservice if I am not acknowledging that, but the warning is be angry and sin not. And so maybe you've been feeling this uh, sense of anger against the perpetrations, uh, the, uh, the sins that's been perpetrated against you, rather. Listen. Ask God what to do with that anger, but don't deny that it exists. Second thing that Dr. Keller says that I think is so helpful is that the dynamic of forgiveness is seen in the intoning death of Christ. Christ becomes our example and our role model of how to execute both justice and forgiveness side by side. On the one hand, taking sin so seriously that he doesn't waive the penalty. Notice that God could have easily just waived the penalty and said everyone gets off, but we wouldn't call him a righteous judge if he did that. What righteous judge lets criminals off with no penalty? But Jesus says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uphold justice. The penalty is unwavering. It requires death, but I'm going to be the substitutionary sacrifice in your stead. This, my friends, is revolutionary. If we're really going to learn the art of forgiveness, we're going to have to study the life of Jesus. And then know this, that forgiveness is fading, that it will never be popular in our culture. I don't think a day is coming where it will be popular in our culture again to walk in forgiveness. So that means we're going to need resources to do this outside of cultural encouragement. So you're not going to get the cultural encouragement, the attaboy from the world that says, yeah, go and forgive. And sadly, within our churches, most of us see forgiveness as a weakness or forgiveness as uh, maybe a sign that somebody's getting off into wokeness or some other aberrant theology when forgiveness really is a reflection of the virtue of God. And so if we're going to walk in forgiveness— We're going to need resources outside of the culture. And here are the two resources that you're going to need more than anything else. Number one, a poverty of spirit that recognizes you've been forgiven much, so you should forgive much. A poverty of spirit that says, I have harmed so many, yet God has been so merciful to me. But secondarily, you're going to need to have a wealth of spirit 
And you may say, well, what is that? It is the recognition that I have been endowed with the indwelling spirit of the living God, and I have been a recipient of his grace that enables me to forgive you. Because I have received so much grace, I can give grace. Freely I have received, freely I can give. So on the one hand, poverty of spirit represents mercy that I know I've needed because I've blown it. On the other hand, wealth of spirit represents grace, this endowment, supernatural endowment from God. When mercy and grace kiss one another, when they come together in the human heart, it produces a forgiveness that is healing, reconciling, and justice-oriented. Friends, there is so much to this book, from its doctrine and theology to its practical application and wisdom. I'm going to encourage you to get a copy today of Forgive. Why should I and how can I? We take forgiveness seriously. We should get a copy of this. And in particular, if we want to extend the same forgiveness we have received, all of us want forgiveness. Uh, But if we want to extend to others the forgiveness we have received, I encourage you to get a copy. Go to our website, equipradio.org, to learn more. That's equipradio.org. You can learn more there. But before I let you go, Maybe today you need to receive the forgiveness of God. Maybe your heart and soul is crying out. Maybe you know and you're confronted right now with your own sin and your own failure. And you say, Chris, I've broken apart my life. My sin has destroyed the lives of everyone around me. I need forgiveness. I need to surrender my life to God. Well, if that's you, I want you to know today forgiveness is found in the cross of Christ. It's when we acknowledge our sin before him. And we turn in faith to him, recognizing that he is the only one that can save, that can forgive, that can restore. As we put our faith in Jesus, we can receive the forgiveness our hearts yearn for. I want you to dial this number. It is 888-NEED-HIM. Can you do that for me? That's 888-NEED-HIM. And today I invite you, I charge you, I urge you, give your heart to the Lord. Surrender your life to him. Let today be the day where your soul experiences the greatest forgiveness you've ever known. And it's that transforming moment that allows you to be a conduit of God's forgiveness to others. Friends, if that's you, I pray now, Father, save, heal, and forgive, we pray. For everyone who turns to you for salvation, I pray today they would know your forgiving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Dial the number 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. And until we're together again next time, as always, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here. You know, our lives are busy, and it's easy to have superficial conversations and even more superficial relationships as we move through our day. If you're looking to have meaningful conversations that impact people's lives, I want you to join my conversation with Dr. Heather Holloman on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.